Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Join over 5,000 attendees for the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, June 5th and 6th, 2024. Edward Snowden, Benedict Evans, Balaji Srinivasan, and over 150 others will hit the stage, joining the industry's most influential to explore and unveil the next wave of transformative AI technologies. Singapore will become a vibrant AI hub for a full week from June 3rd to the 9th, with over 150 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Visit superai.com for 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION. Look for the link in the description. Did the Fed just take a victory lap? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Darius Dale, founder of 42 Macro. Hey, Darius. Hey, Maggie. How are you? Happy holidays. How are you doing? Yeah, I know. We're, we're, we're all feeling that spirit today. The, the Fed didn't just take a victory lap. It was the boom, mic drop, it sounds like, from, from Jay Powell and, and the gang. Um, and it really sparked a huge rally across asset markets today. Um, so if you're just catching up uh, and have been away from screens, the Fed left rates unchanged, but lowered its inflation forecast and indicated three quarter point rate cuts next year. Bond yields, I mean, the market reaction was immediate. Bond yields dropped, 10 year rolling back to 4.03%. Stock soared, uh, S&P, and they're probably still settling up, but S&P uh, up 1.3%, NASDAQ up 1.3%, Dow up 1.3%, above 37,000. The Russell 2000 up 3.49%. Uh, gold up, crypto up. Darius, what'd you make of it? What do you make? What do you make of this move? Oh, it's it should it's to be expected. I mean, we, last we were on then the program, we were talking about how the asset markets are in a Goldilocks regime, and that was supported by uh, fundamental evidence of a rising probability of a soft landing. And so in terms of today, you know, you think about the Fed, a lot of investors were expecting, uh, myself included, uh, at least in terms of today, uh, the Fed to come in and throw cold water on what had been a you know, pretty uh, remarkable easing of financial conditions that we've seen really since uh, the beginning of November. Uh, but instead of coming dressed as the Grinch, uh, Jay Powell came dressed as a mall Santa, you know, as Oprah in a mall Santa outfit. You know, it's like, you get a rate cut, you get a rate cut, you get a dot pot revision. And so um, in our opinion, um, this is good policy. Um, this is this is appropriate policy. Now, I wouldn't call it a victory lap, uh, but what they are uh, doing is acknowledging a lot of the significant further progress we have observed uh, in the data uh, that points towards the direction of a soft landing. Uh, something we talked about, uh, you and I, Maggie, a couple of weeks ago uh, in terms of and how to make money as an investor, uh, you know, in terms of where we are in the economy. It's not about whether the economy soft lands or hard lands or no lands. It's about making money along the way in terms of the rising and falling probabilities of those outcomes. And this is something that our models picked up on at the beginning of November and have consistently gotten us incrementally bullish along the way across asset classes, stocks, bonds, and Bitcoin. You know, our models have basically said, hey, look, this is a great time to be fully invested. 
we are bit reaping the rewards of that great time to be fully invested. And ultimately, that 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 Goldilocks regime that we've been in for a while now uh, is being driven by that fundamental data, that fundamental improvement. So it's interesting that you that you you talked about the financial conditions because I think that everyone really did expect because to say that they were going to hold rates steady and that there would be easing in and of itself, there are plenty of the people people in the market who are expecting that. We just had Jared on yesterday who's saying, I think they're going to be easing next year. It was the fact that they didn't try to walk it back or temper that at yeah. all. They had to know by going public with the plan to cut rates or acknowledge that rate cuts are coming, that would spark yet another leg of this rally. And they seem comfortable with that. What do you What do you make of that? Does that make you feel that they are, or what do you think gives them the confidence to do that? Should we be scared they know something that we don't? Or is this a good news story? No, it's a, it, in my opinion, it's a great news story, Maggie. I think this is one of the feel-good stories of 2024 uh, is the development of the U.S. economy. Um, you know, you and I were talking about, you know, the resiliency of the economy going back 18 months ago in this program. And one of the things that um, sort of helped us understand that we'd have this transitory period of Goldilocks, even going back to January, was the immaculate disinflation that we've observed uh, in the in the data, and that immaculate disinflation uh, is coming from some immaculate um, forces in the labor market. So, in terms of answering your question, uh, uh, Maggie, let's take it to the charts, Brian. If you throw up a slide, I, wait, I love that. We ought to have like a sound effect that says, "Let's take it to the charts." Let's yes, take, it to the charts. take it to the charts. Exactly. <laughs> right. So, uh, so Brian, throw up slide three where we show. Uh, uh, it's a fairly complicated chart, but I'll, I'll be quick in terms of explaining it, because to me, this is one of the most important charts in macro. I've been saying that for a full year now. Uh, it's certainly something that Powell alluded to uh, in this press conference today uh, in supporting the, the, the dovish dot plot revision. Uh, so the top, so uh, draw your eyes to the middle panel of this chart where we show labor demand in the blue line and labor supply in the red line. And then the panel below that, we show the spread between labor demand and labor supply. And for those of you at home, labor demand is just the total household survey employment plus Joe's total job openings. And what we found is that that spread between labor demand and labor supply, which peaked at around 6 million uh, back in early 2022, has gradually declined over the past few quarter, several quarters uh, to around, around 2.4 million. And the reason that's important is because it continues to take pressure uh, off the labor market from the perspective of wages, that, that that spread tends to be quite positively correlated with wages. But the immaculate part of this is, is quite remarkable, Maggie, and I draw your eyes to the bottom panel of this chart where we show household survey employment in that blue line relative to Joe's total job openings. And for the first time in the history of these time series, we've seen a significant divergence uh, in, the, in the direction of travel for these time series. We've seen slack get created consistently for almost two years now in the labor market coming from job openings, and none of the slack is coming from uh, total employment. And in our opinion, that's um, that's obviously, this is how you get to a soft landing in terms of reducing the pressure, uh, the upper pressure that we continue to experience on wages. And just a couple um, couple things to highlight on that, um, Brian, if you throw slide four up, where we show Joe's total job openings divided by uh, total unemployed workers, uh, the second panel and the third panel are actually the most important uh, lines in this plot are the um, are the private sector hires rate on the private sector quits weight. And what we found is that we're back to a trend level in both of those statistics. We're at 4.1% in terms of the private sector hires rate. We're at 2.6% in terms of the private sector quits rate. And the reason that's important and the punchline in this entire discussion, in my opinion, is on slide five, uh, uh, Brian, where we show uh, the Atlanta Fed's wage growth tracker uh, and the ADP uh, median annual pay statistics for job changers in the blue line in both panels for job stayers in the red lines of both panels. And so what we know is that, okay, now we are back to a normalized level 
of turnover in the labor market. And what we know is that people who change jobs tend to experience significantly faster wage growth. So investors should expect slower wage growth in the months ahead, all while we continue to see this sort of immaculate loosening of the labor market conditions vis-a-vis -vis that divergence between total employment and jolts. So we're getting a lot of really positive news. Uh, this is stuff we put in our macro scouting report every month uh, for 42 macro clients. And so in my opinion, I think it's no surprise uh, to see uh, to see Chair Powell celebrate some of this stuff. Uh, I cannot confirm nor deny whether or not we meet with the Fed. So we'll uh, keep moving. <laughs> I think you dropped a breadcrumb for, for us, though. So, um, so there there have been discussions about the labor market there are some things about this economy that have been confounding it's it is we had all that fiscal that's something we haven't had before there's a lot of talk about the lags we've had war we've had supply chains we've had pandemics all of this in the last few years so being able to time out some of the impact of things hard ordinarily and then sort of maybe even harder against that backdrop if we are if if the economy is the Fed signaling rate cuts because the economy is going to be weakening into recession, which would presumably have an impact on the labor market, or are they suggesting something else is going on? Maybe productivity that's strong enough to allow them to kind of land the plane, have inflation continue to get to their target without growth rolling over. Uh, it's the latter, Maggie. Great question, by the way. That that it's it's definitely the latter. One we can derive that just from looking at uh, their uh, summary of economic projections. They're not calling for a significant slowdown uh, in GDP growth, nor are they calling for a significant uptick mm. uh, in the unemployment rate. Uh, in my opinion, the, the the number one thing that's happening that's really supporting you know rising expectations of a soft landing, not just in you know amongst you know econ economists, but more importantly being priced in asset markets and appropriately so. Uh, is this big pickup that we've seen in productivity growth uh, in, in recent quarters. Um, you recall that I want to say the productivity growth came in right around 5% on a year or, or on a quarter of a quarter star basis, right around 2% on a year year basis in late October and has since been revised higher. And the reason the bounce in productivity growth matters, it matters a lot uh, for the future outlook for the economy for two reasons. Uh, reason number one, Brian, if you throw up slide six, uh, where we show uh, our corporate profitability model relative to uh, NIPR corporate profit growth. That's the blue line on the plot and the uh, shaded area curve is our corporate profitability model. That's just nominal gross domestic income minus the spread between uh, the year over year rate of change of unit labor cost and productivity growth. Uh, and what we found is that corporate profitability bottomed a, corporate a couple of quarters ago and it's really kind of, kind of started to improve over the last couple of quarters. It's still cyclically depressed, uh, but it's getting back towards more normalized levels, which implies Corporations are, you know, there's a reduced need for corporations to shed costs on the labor front and or to pass on price increases to customers. Uh, Brian, if you put up slide seven in, in, in today's chart pack, uh, where we uh, show the spread between private sector average hourly earnings growth uh, minus non-farm productivity, uh, that spread, um, which is, you know, generally noise for most of the time, but however, whenever that spread rises uh, substantially, and it starts to um, it starts to eat away at corporate profitability. You tend to see higher rates of consumer price inflation as corporations pass on those price increases or that lack of productivity uh, onto consumers. And the reality is, we basically round tripped uh, in terms of that blue line. We had a big spike up in terms of the spread between earnings, uh, wages, wage growth, and productivity. And now we've had a sharp decline in terms of the spread between wage growth and productivity. And so, what all this means is that there's a lot less pressure on corporate America to either fire people and or to pass on those price increases 
So a lot of the slack that we are seeing created in the labor market, that which is in you know in fact has been immaculate, can continue as long as this productivity level is sustained. And obviously, that's the hardest thing to forecast when it comes to forecasting macroeconomy. So mm-hmm. we can we 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 can't forecast that with any precision. No one can. Uh, but what we do know is that the trend rate of productivity is right around 1.7 percent. You can add 30 to 50 basis points, you know, just by hashtagging AI. And so you're talking about a level of productivity growth, if sustained somewhere to two, two and a half percent would absolutely create a soft landing outcome uh, in the U.S. economy. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, that's a really important distinction because when you're, you know, I mean, and it used to be that, that you know, when when we'd see the Fed start to pivot, the, the, the thing that we've always talked about is, uh, with anyone calling for that is if they come on and say they're pivoting, watch out. Because if they're pivoting, it's probably for 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 reasons that are negative potentially for stocks, at least for corporate profits, for earnings, for job seekers. Do you do you agree though that it sounds like um or do you agree with the Fed forecast that we we're not going to see a significant um increase in unemployment? Uh, I don't know that I need to answer that question with a specific answer right now. What I will tell you is that you know we run a variety of models um, that give us a, a good look on whether we have a high probability or a low probability of a near-term recession, You know something that commences in the next three to six months. And those models, by and large, are saying uh, there's a fairly low probability of a recession commencing uh, in the economy. So for now, uh, the markets are telling me that there's a low probability of recession, i.e. our global macro risk matrix, which is a very uh, complicated and sophisticated uh, system that allows us to you know, be, uh, be appropriately orienting our, our decision-making process with what's actually happening in markets. That is telling us that there's no recession on the horizon. And the actual qualitative research that we perform uh, every day in our late-off morning note and every month in our macro scouting report, they're saying that a recession is a low probability event. Now, that probability might start to rise at some point. But again, I don't think it's appropriate as an investor to pigeonhole yourself into the soft, hard, or no landing camp. You can make money betting on a soft landing and then booking that trade and then eventually betting on a no landing or hard landing after that. And that to me is the number one thing that I see retail investors doing wrong right now. The institutional clients know that. When I have my uh, daily pro-to-pro meetings with our institutional clients, they get that very much. Their job is to make money. The retail investor, they think their job is to be right about their forecasts and, and that's how they make money. And unfortunately, that's just not how the game works. Yeah, uh, I, I think there may be some institutional people that are struggling with that too. Um, you're right, Darius, but we, you know, we, we've 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 seen and, and and heard from people who are kind of like still on that narrative. Now, it doesn't mean that they're trading the same thing they're talking, which is important. But there are people who just, but there are plenty of people who believe that we are going to see inflation return. We are going to see um, the Fed's going to be wrong, and that they're giving up the fight on inflation too soon. One of the things that Jay Powell said today, which was interesting, was that everyone's been wrong about the economy, including them, um, and that this is a time for everyone to be reflective 
because everyone got it wrong somewhere along somewhere along the line. They are now, it seems, concerned about the lags of all of the tightening they've done and trying to get in front of that. It, it worried maybe that more there's there's more going to be more pressure, downward pressure on the economy from their own policy. Do, do you have any thought about the the timing of a rate cut? If do they seem if they're preemptive, are they likely to go sooner? I think the Fed, the market's thinking March, right? Does that seem too soon? Yeah. So the, we were May prior to the meeting. I haven't checked it prior, uh, since the meeting, but uh, so May was the initial uh, 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 the initial um, uh, the, not lift off. What's the opposite? Lift off, lift down, or step okay. down, <laughs> whatever. Ease. Pivot. <laughs> First cut. Uh, so uh, let me answer uh, your question. So um, this is good policy. They understand that monetary policy works with long and variable lags. And you and I have discussed on this program, you know, all since summer of last year, that the lags are longer and variable in this cycle. They're longer in the cycle because of the the terming out of debt that we've done, and also the expediency with which the Fed hiked the policy rate. Um, so not only did consumers in the private sector, both households and corporates, not need to refinance anytime soon, they don't want to refinance anytime soon because of that widespread that between the, what they're currently paying in, in debt service relative to what they would refinance into from a market rate perspective. So the Fed understands that these lags are longer and variable. So they understand that, hey, if we're actually getting the positive outcomes on inflation that we effectively want, then what is the purpose of uh, allowing the policy rate to drift higher on a real basis? and effectively tighten monetary policy further if we're actually getting this sort of soft landing outcome that, you know, if you're a fan of America, you should probably be betting on, right? You know, what's what's better than inflation returning comfortably back to target than, you know, and, and, and without any significant hiccup uh, in the labor market? That's a really positive outcome. Now, again, as an investor, Darius Dale, the founder and CEO of 42 Macro, is telling you it doesn't matter whether or not the economy soft lands. What matters is the progression of asset that mark, asset markets take to getting to the ultimate outcome. You know, we could go into a hard landing very much in the second half of the year, but if the stock market runs up another 10, 15% between now and then, you know, are you going to be able to live with yourself if you miss that gain? Are you going to be able to live with yourself uh, if, if, if soft landing is still very much the consensus expectation three to four or five months from now? I'm not saying it will or won't be, but what I will tell you is that we have you know, legitimate, um, you know, proven quantitative tools that will allow us to book gains on Goldilocks and rotate into something that's not Goldilocks in the future, in my opinion, at a better, you know, with a better price point than a lot of folks who are just, you know, the economy must do this, therefore. Yeah, exactly. And that it's been the, that's been the issue. So um I want to get to some questions because we've got a lot, obviously, given what's happened, because a lot of people are having to kind of reset now. Um, mm -hmm. Lena saying Darius has been right with his timing. And I wonder what he'll say about 2024, any correction coming. I think you just answered that a little bit by saying you can't front run the connect, the correction that may or may not come at some point until, I mean, the Fed's data dependent. It sounds like we have to be too. Yeah, hundred percent. Brian, throw up slide eight, my favorite slide uh, every morning that I refresh uh, in terms of our research. Uh, so there's two things in that, that are core to our research process in terms of helping orient our, our investment making decisions and the recommendations that we make to our clients. Uh, one is our global macro risk matrix uh, that helps us determine our top-down mark regime. So what are the asset markets pricing in? Uh, are they pricing it in too much or too little uh, relative to the, uh, to, the, um, to, the, to the consensus narratives out there? Uh, that model has been telling us Goldilocks, Goldilocks, Goldilocks for, for a while now. Uh, this macro weather model, uh, this is this is in, you know, this is designed to incorporate you know qualitative in, information like you know what's happening with growth, inflation, you know fiscal policy, liquidity, all those things that we care about and we talk about on programs like these. 
we're systematically tracking these on a, every single day. We refresh this model six times a week uh, for 42 macro clients. And the key takeaway, the several key takeaways, one, the current constellation of principal components of macro, whether you think about the rising trend in global liquidity or uh, the rising trend in growth or uh, the declining you know, fiscal, fiscal deficit, i.e. Uh, budget deficit widening, you know, all those things, the current constellation of what's actually happening in the economy and in asset markets are telling you that you should expect better than normal returns for the stock market, the bond market and Bitcoin over the next three months. Um, that's, that's based on the, all the empirical uh, analysis that we've done uh, to determine those to determine those regimes. Uh, the dollar should be going down, which should be additive uh, to global liquidity and commodities are quite neutral right now. So, you know, what I'm trying to show in terms of demonstrating this process and answering the question is it's to tell investors, you don't have to live in perpetual fear of your ability or and or inability. And I would argue based on what Powell said today, which I agree with your inability to forecast all these different dynamics in the economy, because each of these are principal components and really important to determine to determine the direction of asset markets. You can actually just now cast them and understand it better than everyone else and pivot when they change faster than everyone else, because most everyone in asset markets aren't looking at these things every single day and aren't able to react to these things when they change because they're too busy going down rabbit holes on hard landing or no landing or soft landing, as opposed to just being Bayesian and reactive to the data. Yeah. So um, Timothy has a really interesting question. Uh, what what are you looking at that's not obvious or that really gets your attention? So, I mean, we're in this period where everyone's going to have to reset, I think. Um, I know you look across a million different indicators, but is there anything in the reaction today that you find interesting or, uh, you know, a market that you think could be something to watch? What are you going to be most focused on? Is it the is it still the labor market? What yeah. What are you looking at? Uh, to me, it's inflation. Uh, shout out to uh, uh, Jim Bianco. Uh, I think it was on Monday who had a great discussion uh, on inflation. Uh, Brian, if you throw up slide two in today's chart pack, uh, where we show uh, the dot plots uh, for the Fed and the blue bars, uh, the, the current year, one year forward is the second panel, two year forward, third panel, and so on and so forth. Uh, I focus your eyes on that second panel in terms of answering this specific question. Uh, right now, that red line in the second panel is the December 2024 uh, Fed funds rate. The blue bar is in, the, in that panel is the, um, the, the one year forward median dot plot estimate, which was revised lower today uh, by 50 basis points. So right now, the market is effectively pricing in, you know, 75 basis points further of incremental rate cuts relative to what the Fed is already you know, projecting. Now, they, the market may be right. The Fed may be eventually forced to kind of, uh, you know, be dragged down to that level, kicking and screaming. But to me, this is effectively saying you know, soft landing is a very consensus, at least in the money markets right now. And so if we start to see adverse outcomes from an inflation standpoint, and I would argue we saw some adverse outcomes from an inflation standpoint in yesterday's report, that to me is the number one thing that could, you know, throw cold water on this Goldilocks regime, which is obviously a risk on regime and transition us to a risk off regime, much like what we saw, uh, you know, from uh, from August through, through October. Uh, just give you a few statistics on that. So uh, we track uh, inflation impulses on a three-month annualized, six-month annualized, and year-over-year rate of change. But we tend to focus on the three-month annualized because that tends to line up with you know the direction of travel in asset markets. You know it may change in the future, but for now, three months seems to matter the most. If you look at the three-month annualized rates of change of supercore CBI, um, that accelerated to 5.1 percent. That's obviously well above its pre-COVID trend. That's the highest print we've seen since November 2022. Uh, and median CPI. Uh, accelerated to 4.9% on a three-month annualized basis. That's the highest print we've seen since April. 
So there are, there are underlying inflation measures, statistics that are you know kind of bucking the trend of the general trend of disinflation that we're observing across you know the core PCE deflator, other measures of an underlying inflation. Pretty much every inflation uh, survey, whether you look at University of Michigan, uh, Consumer uh, Conference Board, New York Fed, all these inflation surveys are collapsing. Uh, you know, but we're we're still seeing some evidence of sticky inflation. And so, if we're you know looking ahead into next year, you know I try not to predict the predictors. To me, the predictor is the global macro risk matrix and the weather model telling me that it's a great time to take risk. I don't want to predict the predictors, but if I had been answering the question, mm-hmm. if I'm forced to predict the predictors, it's going to be sticky inflation data over the next one to two months that really throws cold water on this regime. And who knows? Market could be 10% higher by then. Yeah, that's the risk. We don't know when that comes in and, and what you've lost if you're on the sideline, but that's that's tricky for people. So this is when you have to think about your time frame and your risk appetite. Um, and we'll we'll flag it at the end. But remember, we're doing if you're depending on where you are in the on the on the sort of risk spectrum. If you are thinking about crypto, and I see a couple of you commenting about that in the chat, we're doing a crypto live academy. The timing can be better tomorrow and Friday, and it's about sort of how to trade that market, what you need to understand about the dynamics. And so, you know, this will feed into it. If we're in a regime like this, how does that make that different? So be sure to go to the website to figure out how to register for that. I think it's realvision.com forward slash get ready. It's free for everybody. If you're members, you'll automatically get access. If you're not, um, you just need to create a free account and you can go to it. So um, it's going to be a tricky time. Um, I was laughing out loud. Mike Ray in the chat wrote, um, mortgage the house, the rally has started. Um, <laughs> jokingly, I know. But there is this, you know, Tony talked about it yesterday. Do animal spirits get released? And do we see, we saw how powerful the move was yesterday. By the way, both Jared and Tony were talking about this very kind of event happening yesterday. So hope you're all tuned in. Um, to that and just being ready for these kind of like market moving days. But is there a risk, Darius, if we see the kind of really enthusiastic rally and easing of financial conditions again? The Fed didn't care about November because it could have walked it back today and it didn't. Do they care if it continues to happen at the start of 24 through the end of this month and start of 24? Does that make their job harder or they just they're just used to when it's a data point they'll collect with everything else? No, no, I think the Fed has done exactly what we've done in 42 Macro, which is transition from trying to predict all these outcomes, which, you know, most folks are having a terrible job doing doing terribly. We're not, you know, we actually did predict the resiliency of the economy this year, uh, going back to last year. Um, so in my opinion, I think with the, so no, to answer your question is no, the Fed won't push back if we continue to see positive outcomes in terms of disinflation, immaculate disinflation, and we continue to see positive outcomes in terms of immaculate labor market loosening. You know, again, it's very rare that that discussion that we discussed, uh, that dichotomy in the labor market that we talked about earlier, it's never happened before in the data. I have no idea how to, you know, to forecast when it ends. You don't, no one does, because it's never happened in the data. There's no way you can train a model on this on this particular dynamic. So Chair Powell talked uh, specifically about how some of this stuff is unprecedented, and you know, we are seeing some unprecedented things uh, happen in the economy. And so, rather than say, well, you know. <laughs> I think inflation is going to be sticky, so I'm going to push back against these rate cuts. Powell is doing what I think is the appropriate thing to do, which is, you know, if this keeps happening, it's good. I don't want to get in the way of a good thing by keeping monetary policy unnecessarily tight throughout 2024. And in my opinion, I think it's it's smart policy until further notice. 
We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. We talked about everything rallying today. I just want to be clear about one that didn't, which would be expected, and that's the U.S. dollar. That traded lower. Um, does that continue, Darius? And what does this, this Fed decision mean for the ECB? Does that complicate things for the ECB? No, not at all. Actually, it's, it's actually very positive for the ECB because it gives them some air cover uh, to actually start to um, to talk dovishly and support uh, their economy. Uh, Brian, if you just throw a slide eight back up on the on the chart, our weather model, uh, so the dollar, our, our three-month outlook for the dollar, and again, what this what these outlooks are designed to do is project, you know, excess returns. So should you expect better than normal returns in the dollar over the next three months or worse than normal? And the model is saying you should expect worse than normal returns and higher volatility in this particular asset class, again, based on the current constellation of all these important indicators in the economy and how they're currently trending. So we are bearish in the dollar. We should be bearish in the dollar in a Goldilocks regime. It's in fact one of the things that's contributing to the Goldilocks regime in a reflexive manner. The dollar going down is a very important and, 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 and positive influence on global liquidity, which you know, when it inflected positively, I want to say a few three or four weeks ago, it was one of those signals that really took our weather model from being kind of neutral on a lot of asset classes to being resoundingly bullish on asset classes and and fortuitously you know we were, we were position, well positioned for that when it did when that did occur so matt uh matt asking i think you answered this already but just just to be clear and answer his question um darius is the distribution of probable outcomes still flat or has the probability of a soft landing risen the probability of a soft landing has absolutely risen we talked about that about a month and a half ago when we got the q3 productivity report you know all things being equal if you have higher productivity you know, as we talked about in our corporate profitability model or in that spread between wage growth and productivity, if you have higher productivity, you have less of a need for corporations to cut costs and pass on price increases to consumers. If they don't need to cut costs, we don't have to be too worried about the labor market. If they don't need to pass on price increases to consumers, we don't have to be too worried about inflation and, and ultimately more tight uh, monetary policy. So again, this is a unusual set of circumstances in the economy in terms of the immaculateness of the disinflation and the immaculateness of the slack that we're creating in the labor market. But why are we fighting this as investors? Our global macros matrix, which has 42 of the most important markets in the world, um, scoring through the lens of our volatility just momentum signal, has been telling us for weeks that Goldilocks is what you should be betting on pricing in. And why would you fight that with the data, um, You know, going back to the uh, weather model, all the data in the economy, not all, but most of the data in the economy when analyzed on an aggregated basis with you know proven quantitative techniques are telling you that things are good. Now, things won't be good at some point in the future, but that's when the models will change. We don't have to predict when the models will change. Mm. Just let the models change and then change your positioning when those things do, when they, when they do change. Uh, so we have, how much momentum do you feel like this, this rally has here? Because we also have I thought I heard someone say $6 trillion. I don't know if someone can correct me if that's wrong. Sitting in money market accounts right mm -hmm. now as well. Um, I think someone made the point that if you, I think it was Tony yesterday, that if you start to see money market account, great. If you if you could get those rates still look attractive. Uh, but if you start to see stocks really take off here, do you start to see money move out of money market accounts into stocks or into risk assets? So how do you feel about the potential momentum for a move here? Yeah, that that's that's this is part and parcel to the to this whole discussion about you know expecting you know this Goldilocks regime to be persistent. You know, part of the what we do in terms of the qualitative research we perform, like well, what's happening in the labor market or with inflation, that gives me an indication. Okay, we're in Goldilocks now. How long should I expect 
Goldilocks to persist. You know, again, I'm not going to tell the model what to do, but that's mm. that's um, that's that helps me answer that question. And to answer your question, we should expect it for a while. I mean, if you think about, you know, the 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 you, you cited the cash on the sideline. I'll give you another statistic. Uh, or Maggie, uh, sorry, my wife's name Allie. Now I can hear her moving around the background. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you another statistic. Uh, if you ag aggregate uh, checkable deposits and currency on both the household and uh, corporate balance sheet plus their money market fund exposure into one aggregated cash metric, it's about 5% of total private sector assets, way up from around 2% in prior to COVID. You got to go back to the 1950s to see that much cash on the private sector balance sheet. Now, as rates on the short end start to come down, and they are coming down, look at the two-year, look at money market rates, the mar mar market or asset market, market participants are going to be looking around and saying, okay, I need to lock in yields and or, and that's exactly what's happening in the bond market, by the way. And they're going to say, well, maybe I should be taking more equity risk because this hard landing thing that all the macro gurus have been telling me for the last two years just ain't, ain't happening in the data. And in my opinion, that is a material upside risk. And finally, uh, I'll throw a few more statistics at you. Uh, we are only in the 55th percentile. So if the AI runs this monthly survey of investors about their um, about their asset allocation, you know, where are you in stocks, where are you in bonds, where are you in cash, uh, the actual levels are irrelevant to me. Uh, but you can analyze them on, on, a, on a statistical basis to understand like where you are relative to history and where you are relative to historical kind of you know pivot points in, in those in those indicators. We're nowhere near peak you know equity market exposure. We're only in the 55th percentile. Uh, of equity market exposure, we're actually in the 37th percentile cash exposure. So, you know, a lot of folks, instead of being long cash, they've been getting squeezed, or they've been getting blown up in bonds up until about the big, you know, November 1st of this year. So, uh, it's telling you that, you know, there's a big asset allocation tree. If we soft land as the economy, which I'm saying the probability has risen, although I'm not certain that's, that's actually going to happen, but it doesn't have to happen. It just needs to stay remain the modal outcome for market participants for more units of time for the market to rise and those funds to blow. That's all that needs to happen. It's a technical process, not a not a um, not a, a fundamental process. Yes, absolutely. Amazing, amazing day. And we're going to have some really, really interesting conversations as we now all try to reset um, and see into the future. But really important message from you, Darius, about not just getting locked in to the narrative, whether you've been on the side of easing or not. And I see it already on 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 X, Twitter, slash people, you know, um, talking about it in terms of that. Um, and you're right. It's a, it's a, it's a difficult thing to do right now. I mean, Jay Powell probably summed it up the best saying that they're making policy in an uncertain, unprecedented period. So Absolutely. they're, they're trying to stay as, as, um, nimble as possible. And I guess we should too. So appreciate you reminding of us that, uh, that, of, of that. Before we wrap up, can I, uh, can we take 20, 30 seconds to play a quick game? Yeah, sure. I want to play a game with everyone watching at home. I played this game with our uh, subscribers uh, in, in our Around the Horn presentation this weekend. So everyone raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. You too, Maggie. So keep your hand raised if you forecasted the pandemic. So I'm dropping my hand. You drop your hand. I assume a lot of people drop their hands. Keep your hand raised if you also forecasted uh, the $6 trillion fiscal response to the pandemic uh, that the Fed monetized 50% of um, uh, shortly after the pandemic. Uh, keep your hand raised uh, if you Heading into 2022, you understood that inflation would be significantly higher than target and the Fed would hike interest rates uh, to the highest level and at the fastest pace in 40 years. Uh, keep your hand raised if uh, in at the beginning of 2023, uh, instead of being in the recession camp, which was extremely consensus at the time, uh, you also thought uh, the economy would have a uh, you know resilience, just demonstrate resiliency. Uh, keep your hand raised that if at the end of October, 
uh, you thought uh, you know that you know, the stock market and bond market were due to you know squeeze and completely change regimes uh, based on some evidence of a soft landing. And so the whole point of that exercise, because most people, if not everyone, should have their hand down uh, by the end of that, the whole point of that exercise is to show you by looking backwards at the last three years of trading markets and the economy, at, to remind you that we need to have humility as investors in terms of our ability to predict these material, meaningful outcomes that impact your portfolio. So rather than looking ahead into 2024 saying and doing the exact same thing by, I think this is going to happen, therefore I got a position for this, maybe try changing it up a little bit. Maybe, you know, add some systematic elements into your process. You know, maybe those things might, you know, which have been very, you know, favorable for, for our clients at 42 Macro, I think they can be very favorable for your portfolio as well if you allow yourself to have a little humility about your ability and or inability to forecast these really important economic dynamics. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Darius. And I'll tack two things onto that. Um, we uh, keep your mind open to the learning process, right? This isn't, we, we never play gotcha here. There are people who come on who do good work, um, who get it right a lot. And Lena was just mentioning, Raul has had a fantastic year. He has. Hell yeah. He got his bond trade wrong, which he got out of, and he explained. And there are people who have been on the other side of it right now who are not right, but maybe right next year. And so what we always try to lean into is where are the differences? What can we learn from them? If people are changing their mind, why are they changing their mind? And what can we learn from that? So that's how we approach this here. And we try to bring you diverse views instead of everyone just mimicking what's working at the moment, because that doesn't do anyone any good. So be, you're right. We have to be humble. We have to look back. Things are unexpected. This is unprecedented. Um, and you need to have a, an open mind um, in addition to staying nimble. So that's really important. The other thing is that we, as you all know, lean into education. So I'm going to do a fun segment with Denise Schull. We were talking about prior to this, how we all deal with the fear of losing again, because so many people got hit with that last year, whether you're in bonds, whether you're in crypto, um, whether you were in anything other than the MAG-7. Now it's the flip side we also have to think about. How do I not get intoxicated by the greed and rally that we may be faced with at the beginning of the year? So we're going to break that all down about not only how to sort of be smart about it, but how to mentally prepare for the emotional roller coaster that we're all going to be on. So it's going to be really fun. This should be a good period that we can all enjoy, but um, but I'm going to take that advice and we're going to stay humble and lean into the learning for it, Darius. And I know you'll be there with us, so appreciate it. You are a superstar, my friend. Uh, I just want to thank you specifically. You help so many thousands, if not tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people around the world learn how to be better investors every day. You're on the front lines. And I just want to say thank you for your contribution because you've helped me in our discussions and, and certainly have helped so many others. Oh, thanks. So that's a, that's a nice year end. It feels a little bit like a eulogy when you say that to me, but it's a nice year end thought. Exactly. You're right. We're, we're all half on vacation after this rally, um, yeah. but I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Darius. And thanks to all of you. Great questions always and great comments. And you always have me laughing in the chat. So if you're not in the chat and you're not on our platform, get over here so you can participate. Appreciate you all. Oh, Ralph saying, Five trillion in U.S. stock options are set to expire Friday. We have Jem Carson on tomorrow. He's going to talk all about that. And he thinks pal's wrong. So um, there you go for diverse opinion. Um, so that'll be fun. So be sure to join us for that. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there, everybody. As you know, crypto's on the bull run. We're transitioning from crypto spring to crypto summer. It's when things get exciting, but it's when everybody loses their minds. And your one job 
in the gift of a bull market is not to fuck this up. So one of the key ways of not doing that is to educate yourself. And we passionately believe in education at Real Vision. And one of the things we're doing for you, which is absolutely free, is we've got Real Vision's Crypto Academy Live, which is two days of programming to help you not fuck it up. And I think you're gonna find it really valuable. And again, it's free. If you're interested in joining us and leveling up your knowledge, ready for the crypto bull market so you don't fuck it up, then join us, realvision.com forward slash get ready. It's as simple as that. It's free. You get everything that you want. If you are a Real Vision member, you get this already, so you don't need to do anything. Also, if you are a Crypto Academy member, um, it's also included in your package, so you don't need to worry about that. Anyway, realvision.com forward slash get ready and don't fuck this up. Join over 5,000 attendees for the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, June 5th and 6th, 2024. Edward Snowden, Benedict Evans, Balaji Srinivasan, and over 150 others will hit the stage, joining the industry's most influential to explore and unveil the next wave of transformative AI technologies. Singapore will become a vibrant AI hub for a full week from June 3rd to the 9th, with over 150 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Visit superai.com for 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION. Look for the link in the description.